When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. And thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. And today I will be talking with Dr. Lauren Krigler. Dr. Krigler is a pelvic floor therapist, physical therapist, and sex therapist. I met her at the She Podcasts event in Atlanta, I want to say maybe a year and a half ago. And we met and she told me a little bit about her background and I took her card and I thought, I will never be talking to a sex therapist. That is just outside of my comfort range. And it still is, which you might be able to hear in some of my questions. But I figured, you know what, if this is something that people want to hear more about, I think it's a big part of people's lives. And just because I'm not totally comfortable talking about it doesn't mean I shouldn't share it. So I hope you enjoy this episode and just... You know, I feel like the more we talk about things that make us uncomfortable, the more comfortable we get. So hopefully I'll do another episode like this with someone and maybe it won't be so awkward. But this was my awkward first attempt, and I think she made it easier for me for sure. And um, I learned a lot. So hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining me on The Family Brain today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm happy too. It's funny because I was thinking about how I met you at um, She Podcast. Was that two years ago? Oh my gosh, it might be that long ago now. I don't even know if you know that that's how we met. But And I remember you telling me that you talk about sex health. And I was like, well, I just can't talk about that. So nice to meet you. And (laughs) I mean, really, it's like one of those things that I know is so important and critical to talk about. And it made me, it forced me to kind of look at my own limitations. And I think, I think what you're doing is really important work because it's something that it matters in people's lives, but not many people are super comfortable talking about it. So I was wondering if you could tell a little bit about what got you to the point of being in this space. 
You know, my whole life, from as early as I can remember, I was really interested in how we can affect our own health. And so obviously, early on, it was not about our sexual health. But, you know, from childhood, I thought about nutrition. That's actually what I, you know, went to college and majored in nutrition. Um, And then later, got a doctorate in physical therapy. And when I was going through that program, I thought I would come out, you know, doing orthopedics, which is what most people think of when you know, they think of a physical therapy. It's like, you know, if your back hurts or your knee hurts or something like that. But throughout that coursework, uh, I got introduced to the idea that it could be your pelvis that hurts or that there's something wrong with it. And when I started to take some of the topics that I was being taught and ask women of various ages. So at the time I was in my 20s, um, and I would ask women in their 20s and their 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s, you know, do you ever have pain with sex? Do you ever have, you know, dryness? Do you ever leak, you know, when you laugh, do you ever leak urine or leak urine during sex? Or, you know, are you having any of these problems? Have you ever had, you know, constipation and, you know, these other issues that all have to do with the pelvis and they all affect, you know, your total health, your emotional health, and definitely your sex life. And, Almost every woman said, yes, I've had at least one of those things, no matter their age. And there is such a lack of people in that field. I just got so excited at the thought that, you know, I can learn about this. This is something that, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. So why not fill this need? And then the more I learned, the more exciting it was to just realize how interactive everything is in your life, in your health. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm curious, what 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 made you so comfortable in talking to people about these things? Like, did you grow up with a very open family that just talked about things? I mean, I grew up at Catholic schools, and we were told, <laughs> don't talk about it, and just don't do it. I mean, that's pretty much the, the, the education I got around sexual health. Um, you know, I mean, I got I got the basics, but but that was pretty much the message. Um, what, what made you so comfortable doing this? Or was it just over time that you got more comfortable? You know, I definitely did not grow up in a family that was like comfortable talking about it. I still don't really talk to my parents about sex, which is funny because I recently wrote a book about sex. And (laughs) and so when we were talking about that, it was like, well, guys, you know, I, I had to sit them down and, you know, kind of have the talk of, you know, I wrote a book and the book's about sex. (laughs) And then they asked to see the cover, which is a little provocative. So, um, you know, but, but they're okay with it now. But as a child, you know, I, I joke that I knew I grew up in a sexually conservative family because of the tons of zero conversations that we had about sex. You know, um, I got a book. <laughs> I was given a book, yeah. um, you know, with some interesting drawings in it. Yes. And I didn't hear negative self-talk, but I didn't hear positive self-talk either. It was just, just sort of like a vacuum okay. of knowledge when it came to that. Right. Um, and so I don't, you know, and I don't blame my parents for that. That is, they were mirroring what happens in society, in our culture. Right. And so... Um, I want it to be different. I want it to be different for today's girls growing up and boys, but there's a, 
a stronger stigma for girls and, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. So I'm kind of like, if I need to be the one on the soapbox, then okay. (laughs) I love it. Well, and I love hearing that you, it's not something that just came naturally to you because it gives everybody the idea like, okay, we can get more comfortable. It just might involve a little education. Um, So what are some of the things that, that the people you see, what are some of the main like issues that you, you deal with, with people? What are some of the biggest things that come, people come to you about? Well, there's the overt problem, which, you know, uh, most women are coming to me with sexual health issues. So, um, you know, we're talking about low libido is, is by far the biggest overlying problem. Pain with sex is another huge one. Um, and then just lack of pleasure or lack of being able to orgasm or climax. But that's the, that's the problem that's written down, if that makes uh-huh. sense, right? But of course, overlapping that typically is depression or anxiety or, you know, um, guilt. A lot of women feel very bad about not like feeling like they're fulfilling some duty that they're supposed to be filling if, you know, if they're not having sex with their partner or, you know, if they're not enjoying it or it's been painful and they don't talk about it because not only do we not talk about it as a society, but most couples don't talk about sex even within their sexual relationship. They might be married for 30 years, but they're not talking about sex. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about just, it sounds like that's what's going on. How do you change? I mean, if that's sort of what is in our culture, how do you flip that on its head? Yeah. I feel like every time I say any sexual words, I keep thinking. <laughs> okay. How do you yes, flip yes. Uh, a lot of puns will come yeah. out accidentally. I'm sure you're used to it, but this is how sad it is for me that I'm like, <laughs> I actually have a line, you know, in the disclaimer that this is not health advice and stuff in the front of my book. And part of the disclaimer at the bottom is all puns intended. Oh. <laughs> so, I love it. Because it does come out. Yes. But, you know, so some of that is, like you said, I didn't grow up you know, talking about this comfortably. And so I 100% understand what it's like to feel uncomfortable, even with your own spouse or your own partner um, talking about sex. And so I relate it to communicating about So, you know, starting out by talking about the things that are going well, you know, so it doesn't seem like this is all negative. So honey, you know, I've never had an orgasm. I mean, women come to me and they tell me that. And if they've, if they've talked about that openly with their husband, that's fine. And I think that they should, but I don't think it should be your starting line. (laughs) It shouldn't be the problem. It should be, you know, the things that are connecting you, the things that are going well in both your relationship and your sex life. And then leading up to here's some things that I could be really excited about improving you know, because who doesn't want improvement in their lives? So if somebody comes to me and says, hey, you know, my husband says, I would like some to work on some improvements with you, then I, I don't, you know, your defenses are down. Mm-hmm. Or if you come in with like, here's the problem that I'm experiencing, you right. know, defenses yeah. are up. So talk about like a style of communicating to help people just in general. And honestly, you could apply that to any relationship. You could apply it to any problem. You know, I use the same things with my kids. <laughs> like, let's yes. talk about the good stuff, right? And then the added thing, 
with communicating about sex. And this is something that in, in my book, I, I go over like, here are all the words that people use for the female body parts. Here are words that people use for male body parts. Here are words that people use for sex. Here are words that people use for masturbation. And to figure out which words you're comfortable with, because sometimes what I've found in talking to couples is that they're actually offended by this specific word, not mm-hmm. what it means. Okay. Right. Yeah, and so I don't want your podcast like getting flagged. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll leave that in the, in the book. But like, there's lots of terms that there's so many terms, if you think about it, for having sex, you know, and some of them can feel very dry, like, oh, there's a pun, um, yeah. like intercourse, you know, right. Well, are, would you like to, you know, consume having intercourse? It sounds mm-hmm. very dry, right? And then there's some that feel, you know, very off the wall or too offensive to other people, Mm. right? (laughs) And so like some of this is just a matter of terminology too. And so I try to make that like a conversation that, you know, if I'm having with somebody as a coach or, you know, I'm writing about, I try to make that like a fun, you know, side note, like we can laugh about this, Mm -hmm. right? As adults, we can say, oh yeah, that's really awkward. You're right. (laughs) You know, let's not use that term. Right. Um, it's funny because I, I know that even just in watching movies, I'll be like, ooh, what did they just say? And in the movie or in the show, it's considered to be like a hot moment. And I'm like, oh, stop. It's terrible. Um, so one of the questions I have for you is when, when you're talking about all of this, it makes so much sense to me. The part that um, I, I wonder about is if you're talking about reducing stress for women or reducing depression or anxiety so that you can experience that pleasure more. I mean, it just seems like there's so many like cards stacked against that, like reduce your stress. Where do you even begin? Um, Especially in these days with the Mm COVID-19 craziness, I almost wonder, do people get irritated? Like if you say, okay, you need to reduce your stress. Well, no kidding. You know, I mean, how? Right, right, right. It's like, oh, yeah, let me turn that off. Thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I think, though, that stress is one of those things where there's the actual stress that's happening from actual stressors, things that are causing stress in our lives, right? And then there's the stress that is from the spin that we create around that stress, Um, And so some of that is, that's a conversation that I have. It's like, is this really a stressor, you know, or is this what you're telling yourself about this event? Right. And again, this is something, you know, so if some, if you have a listener who's not in a romantic relationship, this is something that you can use on yourself, no matter what the problem is that, you know, I would say that there's two there's two sides to every story. You know, they say his, hers, or his, hers, and the truth sometimes. But really, there's two sides to the story in your head. There's all the positive things and all the negative things. And you can choose which ones to look at, right? And so, you know, I could get off this interview and say, oh, I didn't answer the questions right. I bet she's so unhappy with me. I bet, you know, she's going to have to edit this whole thing out. I probably rambled too much. You know, I could tell myself all these negative stories, Or I could say, you know, I'm looking at Megan right now, we're smiling, we're having a great conversation, you know, (laughs) and it depends on which one I'm really going to focus on. That's going to depend whether I'm really stressed out about it or not. Right. 
Great. No, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. I was, um, have you listened to, well, I had read the book that I don't remember their first names, the Nagowski sisters, the burnout book. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. So they were just on the Brene Brown podcast, which I'm a a big fan of. And um, they were talking about the, like the stress cycle. And it's, it's what you're talking about also about how there's the stressor, but then also like completing the cycle of needing to like basically um, work the stress out of your body, you know? Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder, I know people talk about sex as a stress reliever, but I wonder for women if it's important to get rid of the stress before you are able to enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I talk about problems as cycles a lot and there's a cycle between the physical problem and the emotional problem. And they, you know, a lot of emotional problems manifest themselves as physical problems in your body and the cycle goes round and round. But the nice thing about that is that there's multiple points that you could change the cycle, right? You can work on things physically. You can work on things emotionally. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if I just answered your question. No, it makes sense because I think what I'm hearing is that you're saying it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be like, I need to get rid, I need to work on my emotional so I can be more present physically, but they, they sort of go hand in hand. And I don't know. I think sometimes I can be a little like step one, you know, and, but what you're, it sounds like what you're saying is they, they flow into each other and it, it, they both. I mean, it's start where you can, it sounds like. Right, right. And I will say that stress is the number one libido killer for women. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, there's nothing sexy about feeling stressed. But it is also true that there are studies that say that sex is a stress reliever. So it's like, well, which to do first? Because Mm -hmm. my libido is in the toilet because I'm feeling stressed, but... If I had a good roll in the hay, then I wouldn't feel so stressed, right? So sometimes, yeah, it's it's picking which one, you know, which one can you work on? Is it easier for me to, can I, you know, get excited enough or interested enough to have sex and see where that leads? Maybe I'll feel better because I've created this emotional connection with someone or would it be better for me to meditate for a little bit or go for a walk to bring my stress levels down, and then hopefully increase my libido and want to have sex. Yeah. So it, it, you know, depending on the person and depending on the day, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and what I'm, what I'm thinking is just from what you're talking about is this idea, like I keep thinking about how sex is portrayed in TV and in movies. And it's almost like we get this idea that if it's not just that natural and like, it's sort of one thing leads to the next and but that you're saying oh how do I get in a space where that is something that I would want to do for me maybe it would be go for a walk and then come up you know what I mean but mm-hmm. then it might take some processing and might not just be a natural progression right right I always say you know that um, I like in porn, you know, I said porn is sort of a, you know, tends to be bigger for men um, and problematic in their sex lives. And I think that a similar thing happens with women with romance novels and romance movies, like you're saying, right? And so both 
create problems in your relationship because then you have this expectation. Like with porn, it's like you have this expectation that, you know, this woman, you know, is gorgeous and dressed up and, you know, ready to have sex at any moment and you just delivered a pizza. Now, you know, she, she wants to have sex with you and, yeah. you know, and that, you know, we're ready like that and that things progress so quickly, right? And that's what's going on on that side. So the same thing that's happening with porn on a different level with romance novels or romance movies, you know, women are listening to these perfect lines, right? Being said by, by male or female partners, but they're, you know, typically male partners are saying this like perfect romantic thing that a woman wants to hear. And in reality, that's not what happens with most people. You aren't getting the flowers at like the perfect moment that was so sentimental. And, you know, in reality, you know, your anniversary gets forgotten. And, or if it was remembered, you know, you might be, you know, cleaning the house during that day mm-hmm. because something happened. Like this is life, right? right. And they don't show real life in either right. one of those scenarios. And so our expectations are changed based on, you know, what we're watching and what we're listening to and what we're reading. And the reality is that, you know, you have control over your sex life. So you are in charge of bringing the excitement. You are in charge of, you know, wanting to have sex and not waiting around for somebody else to help you want it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It's interesting to me, just listening to you talk, it makes me think about how I would think that it would be important to talk to friends about your experiences, almost as a reality check, right? Because it's like, I, you, I know that when I talk to friends, I'm like, oh, it's, it's much more similar than what you're seeing on TV, you know? And it, it's, it just is, um, I don't know, kind of reassuring that, that, this is not typical behavior, what you're going to see on, you know, Grey's Anatomy or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can tell you that my husband and I both worked in the same hospital and none of the stuff that happens in Grey's Anatomy (laughs) happens in a real hospital because real hospitals are gross. (laughs) Yeah. And nobody would get anything done. Like everybody wouldn't be dead. Like they'd just be like messing around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's a perfect example because Grey's Anatomy is like, like every like closet is going to be romantic. Every closet (laughs) is full of germs and it's icky. And there's like, no, there's a biohazard trash can right there. We're not having sex here. (laughs) (laughs) That is a perfect example. Um, So one of the things that um, I was thinking about is just what, like when you're first working with a client, do you typically work with a couple or is it just the female or how does, is it more of a case by case situation? It's a little bit case by case. A lot of times either I'll start with just the female and then, you know, um, the partner will come in a little bit or, you know, we start with, I'll talk to both of them and then we either stay with that pattern or, you know, if it's more of, working with the females mindset, then a lot of it is, is me talking to the female because sometimes, you know, the things that they would say would be hurtful to their partner. Like it feels bad to ha- to hear, you know, some of the things that 
women say like, I, you know, I'd be happy to never have sex again. You know, that would feel really bad. And I say, I don't suggest that you say that to your partner. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're feeling that way, it's not about your partner. It's not, you know, so we can work on it by working with you and it's going to change the way you feel about your partner. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So it, it's interesting, like you became a physical therapist, but then a lot of what you're doing is more mindset, is more mental health. Like how, how do you bridge that? How do you, is it just like you just continual learning or how do you, how do you make sense of that for yourself? A lot of it is continual learning, continual um, education. So, you know, going on and taking, you know, different courses in mindset and some psychology of working with patients. Um, and no matter what field you're in, there's always some side of emotional health as well. You really can't separate it. But when I first um, started, you know, I, so I was out in 2008 and I didn't really deal with the emotional side of it because I was like, well, if you're having pain with sex, then we're working on, you know, the things that we need to do, um, to try to change that. And what would happen is I would wind up with a woman who was now capable of having sex, but didn't want to, mm. right? Because you've solved the pain problem, but you haven't solved the fact that for the past six years, she's been avoiding sex because of pain. Mm. So there's a whole lot of mindset to get back to wanting to have sex, to get back to building the intimacy in your relationship in that way. And so I started doing that pretty quickly on, and then I realized, wow, that actually gets me faster results physically too. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if, if I'm in the back of my head, if I'm having pain with sex and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I really don't want to be having sex. It's really hard to work on it. So what, I mean, I, I know I want to talk about your book that's coming out. Can you talk about your book for a little, for, just tell us the name of it just so we can look for it and when it's going to be coming out? Yeah. So it's called Good Sex Requires More Than Just Doing It. I love that title. Cool. <laughs> so it's kind of exactly what we're talking about, right? Like you can be having sex, but in order for it to be the kind of sex that most of us really want, you know, the kind that you look forward to, it's really about the intimacy, the building, the relationship, how you feel during it. You know, are you like, this is awesome. I'm making this really great connection. Or is it, you know, what some of my clients call duty sex, you know? So yeah, it's about showing up and making small changes so that you can have a sex life that's really fulfilling and not something that you're ever putting off, like something you're excited about. Is there ever such a thing as, I feel like you hear about people who are sort of like good matches, like both people want to have sex a lot, or both people are kind of okay with moderate amounts or both people are okay with not very much. What, what do you say to that? Like, what do you say to if there are people who just aren't, it's not a huge priority, or do you think that, that they should change that? Well, so I would say that there's nothing wrong. It, it's not, libido is not a one person thing. Like if, if I have low libido and, you know, and my husband has low libido and neither one of us want to have sex very often and we're happy with our, you know, once a month, then there's not a problem. You know, there's nothing to solve there. But what really happens is I say, it's not that it's not low desire. That's the problem. It's the desire discrepancy. It's if one partner has a really high sex drive and the other partner, you know, or just mildly high and the other person's a little low, um, 
and they want different amounts, that's when it starts to create a problem. And that's just like the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And then you could start to have a little bit of resentment. You could start to have the person with lower desire feeling like, I don't know why you're asking me all the time. It's not that important. It's just sex. And then you start to have the other person thinking, this is really important to me. It's a connection that I want to make with you that I'm not making. And you can see how that, that forms this cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how negative those feelings could be. And it's something that could be tearing a couple apart when ideally, you know, intimacy is something that should be building us together. Right. Is there ever a time where you would encourage one person to try to have a lower libido to have that match? Or is that not, am I getting into a whole nother territory here? I just, it's just interesting to me that, that, so if there's a couple and one person has a much higher libido and one person's is maybe a little bit lower, that it would be upon this person, the, the person with the lower one to get to where the other person is. Is there ever a time where, do you know what I'm saying? Is that making yeah. sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly I, you know, I have had some couples tell me like, well, ideally, you know, he'd like to have sex twice a day. And I'm like, well, you know, it, sometimes it gets into like logistically, that's really hard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and uh, especially if you both have jobs and you have kids and, you know, it's like, I've got other stuff to do, yeah. you know? Um So sometimes, yeah, it might be realizing, not trying to lower that libido, but maybe realizing what connections are made in other ways, Mm. right? So it's not that sex isn't the only way that you're making a connection. There's connections in these other places in your life, you know, and realizing that there's, you know, you've probably read the book Love Languages at some point. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that there's other ways that, you know, your partner's trying to show affection and trying to be a little bit more receptive to those. So there is like a meeting in the middle, certainly. Mm. Okay. What about when people come to you and say, you know, this isn't what it used to be and wanting it to be how it was maybe in the beginning of a relationship. Um, How do you work with that? Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, sex isn't what it used to be and isn't that great you know, because, which usually makes people pause and they're like, huh? Because that's another thing that you see in the movies, or I think a stereotype in society that maybe when you're in your twenties, like you're like uh, swinging from the ceiling fan and there's, you know, all this excitement going on. And then, you know, you're in your forties, fifties, sixties beyond. Mm -hmm. And somehow that's, you know, not as exciting or it's not as wild or, you know, free. Um, I think as far as feeling wild and free, it depends on what you mean. I mean, certainly in your 60s and 70s, you might be losing some flexibility (laughs) physically, right? But what you're replacing that with, especially if you're in a long-term relationship, is, is the connection and the ability to feel free with what you're doing because there's, you know, the other person so well, ideally, And this is where, you know, some coaching can be helpful because ideally you're communicating really well. You know that person really well and you're more comfortable trying things that maybe you haven't tried before. Maybe you didn't do these things in your 20s or maybe, you know, you're connecting in ways that that you wouldn't have been able to really be comfortable with yourself and your partner. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Well, and it's interesting because if you think about intimacy in younger aged groups, 
I think sometimes the excitement, quote unquote, is from the unpredictability. Like you, you, it's not a typically very stable situations and that can sometimes feel exciting when really it's also unstable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if, you know, different people are turned around by different things. So, so some people are turned on by like newness and change a lot. And so there's things that you can do to make things new. There's different positions, there's different locations, there's, you know, um, role playing, there's different things that people can do if change is really exciting. Um, it just depends on what, you know, and that's one of the things I try to get down to is what is it that really excites you or makes you feel connected? Mm-hmm. And those things are going to be great in your sex life. I love that. What are, what advice would you give to people what, if they're listening and thinking, okay, I'm interested in making my sex life more of a priority, but I'm not really sure where to start. So depending on the problem, right? It's hard to, so sometimes you know, the first thing I'll say physically, because it's just an easy remedy to some problems is, you know, if you're not enjoying sex, I'm going to put this really bluntly, try using lubrication. (laughs) I know that sounds like when people are like, uh, especially as, you know, women go through menopause and they're concerned with like things are dry or things, you know, it's kind of feels uncomfortable, but it's not something huge. You know, they haven't had some major change where, you know, I work with some women postpartum, right? So that's a major change where like, okay, let's really talk about this problem and see what's going on. But you're having this mild change and things aren't as exciting. Like, you know, does everything feel good? Right. So if there's a little less friction down there, things are going to feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's the physical side of it. But then obviously there's a huge, much larger emotional side of it. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll give the advice of, well, how are you showing up for this event? Right. Are you and that could be throughout your whole day. Right. So if you're sitting in your yoga pants and a sweatshirt, you're not going to feel sexy. I'm not talking about whether someone else thinks you're sexy or not. I'm talking about whether you feel sexy, right? Because if I don't feel sexy, how am I going to want to have sex if I feel like a bridge troll, right? (laughs) But I was thinking that during this quarantine time, I mean, we've done a a lot of sweatpant wearing, you know, like there's not a lot of getting dressed up and, you know, and sometimes it feels good just to get dressed to go to the grocery store, you know, just to do something basic. Yep. You know, sometimes it's just as simple as putting a little lip gloss on and pulling your hair back and a little, you know, cute ponytail or something just to, I'm not saying you have to, you know, wear heels around the house to do your Zoom call for work. That that probably doesn't make sense, but um, there's just whatever is, that little thing for you that would make you feel like, yeah, I look good, you know, and I feel good. And this is how I'm presenting myself for me. That is more powerful than anything I could do for a partner. Yeah. I like that. I like the idea that it's not about necessarily like what someone else's reaction is. It's about how you're feeling and how you're showing up and, I think that's true in so many instances, you know, like just how you're feeling brings that energy to whatever space you're in. 
Well, and I think it's pretty much universal that the sexiest thing about someone is confidence. Like if you think, and I think that's true for both men and women, you know, and so if you go in feeling like you look like a queen and you feel like a queen, you know, that is so sexy. Like you, we have all known women who are beautiful. They would make a beautiful picture, but when they walk in the room with their slumped shoulders and looking down at the floor and you're just like, oh, she would, you know, she's a pretty woman, but you know, you wouldn't picture her being sexy. Mm -hmm. And then we've all known women that are 50 pounds overweight who just, you know, they do their hair right. And they, you know, wear clothes that they feel good in and they walk in with this really confident, you know, kind of sexy smile and they just exude this confidence and you're like, wow, she's a sexy woman, you know, and you could say the same thing for men. I think it works equally on both genders. Uh, So that's something that you get to show up with. You get to put that on. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, I'm wondering just how, how like as partners, can we support each other in this process? Like if we're, if we're working on communication or if we're working on what, what advice do you give for, for sort of getting that conversation going so that there can be more open support between partners? So, and the, the answer to that depends a lot on how receptive their partners are. So I've worked with couples where, you know, a partner does not really want to hear the other person's feelings. And so we might take a different tactic. We might work more on just changing the mindset within the woman, right? Um, But if they are really receptive to the way that you feel, a lot of times, like I said, people don't talk about sex and they don't talk about their insecurities and they don't talk about the things that bother them that could be easy changes, simple stuff like um, the lights on or the lights off, or can we, can we have candlelight? Is that a, you know, compromise? And like, everybody looks good in candlelight, you know? Um, And sometimes somebody may not realize like the one thing that just bothers you and you would have been in the mood But then this one thing, you know, happened. It might be like, there's just, there's laundry all over the floor. And, you know, my to-do list is, is really long. And again, that brings up those stressors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it could be like this one little thing or, you know, what if it was something, what if it was as simple as the lights, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you have those conversations and then, then the person's able to say, okay, you know, normally I'm a full lights on person. That's what I really want. I think you're beautiful. I want to see your whole body, but I also really respect and recognize that, you know, you feel more comfortable if the lights are dim and there's candlelight and that gets you excited because isn't the goal to get each other excited, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not all physical. It's a lot of it's mental, you know, When I think that if you say something about your preferences, it gives the other person almost permission to then, oh, I'm glad you said that because I've been wanting to say whatever it is. Exactly. Yes. Well, I am excited to check out your book. Is it out already or is it coming out? Um, It'll be out by the time this podcast is up. It'll be out on Amazon. You can also find it on drlauren.com. 
Krigler is C-R-I-G-L-E-R.com. Um, you can buy the book there. You can read a little bit more information about all kinds of, you know, intimacy and relationships as well as um, pregnancy and some public health issues around that because, you know, that's a consequence of sexual relationships sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a really good book. My favorite book about sex education for kids is um, It's So Amazing. Have you seen this one? I and have I love it because it talks about puberty sex, and then also taking care of children. You know, it's like, here's what your body is able to do. Here's sexual acts. And here is what happens and how much, basically how much work is involved. (laughs) Like, so be aware. It's really good. Um, Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And one of the things that I usually ask people, the last question I usually ask is just what you do for your own self-care to take care of yourself, that you're showing up in a good space in a good way. Um, so that is a really good question. Um, I do a few things. I run. So that's one of the things I feel like, you know, you kind of sweat it out and that is helpful for me. And that's also a time to be by myself. I often do that in, well, with my dog, but she doesn't say much. So, and I'll do that in the woods, which is kind of like a double positive for me because I always say being in the woods is like, getting your brain massaged. It's like what massage does for my body. Um, the wood being out in the forest does for my brain. And it, that to me is, is probably the number one thing that I do is that time that I set aside for myself. I love that. I love hearing what people do because it kind of motivates me to think more about what I do and, and stay on it. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and not just like think about it, actually practice it. Well, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed talking to you and I can't wait to see your book on Amazon. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. I hope you enjoyed learning from Dr. Lauren Krigler and I'm excited to check out her book. She says it's going to be available on Amazon. It's called Good Sex Requires More Than Just Doing It. Small Changes for Big Impact. And I feel like it wasn't so difficult to talk about sex, as as difficult as I thought it might be. And I think the more we talk about these kinds of things, the more comfortable we can get. And it's a big part of life. So I think I'm going to try to get more comfortable talking about it. And if anybody has thoughts on who else I should talk to, feel free to send me a message. I You can find me on Facebook, The Family Brain Podcast. Family Brain Podcast on Instagram or on my website, familybrainpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.